On Tuesday, September 8th at 6.30 a.m., Marilyn Hoffman heard a loud knock at her door. So that scares you when you in the house by yourself, so I peeked out. And that's when she saw a sheriff on her porch. Can I curse on you? Yeah, you can curse. I was fucking scared when the sheriff's department came to my house. I was really scared because then now you know it's serious. She walked to the door with just a T-shirt on, because remember, it was 6.30 a.m. And he was like, you have been served. And I looked at him like, huh? Marilyn took a closer look at the papers. In big, bold letters, it read, A small claim action has been commenced against you from the clerk or for Superior Court. The thing is, Marilyn rents a home in North Carolina, and for months, because of the pandemic, she hasn't been able to make rent. And now her property owner was trying to evict her. I was stressed out. I'm st- I've been stressed out since this stuff started. I did all this hard work, and at the end, I'm going to lose everything. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Right now, millions of people are struggling to make rent because of the pandemic. To help people avoid getting evicted, federal, state, and local governments came up with a kind of patchwork of protections. But this summer, many of them expired. And now, renters facing eviction are trying to navigate a system with new and very confusing rules. This week, one woman's story of trying to stay right where she is. I met Marilyn at her home in Sanford, North Carolina. It's actually not far from where I grew up. It's a small city, the kind where it feels like everyone knows everyone. You want to sit down right here? Yeah, I'll sit down right here. We sat on her porch several feet apart with masks on. I feel like the best word to describe Marilyn's house is cozy. It's on a quiet street. It's a small two-bedroom, one-bath. And the exterior is this soft sky blue color. She's been living here since February. February 7th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what was that like, like that day? It was happy. It was happy. She moved in with just one suitcase. I got an air mattress and I laid on the air mattress and said, God, I thank you. And it just felt really good. I felt proud of myself. She put up a picture of her 22-year-old daughter on the wall, bought bright yellow flowers to decorate the porch, and hung up some chimes. My next-door neighbor gave it to me. This is the home that I made for myself. For Marilyn, this home is a big deal, and she definitely didn't take it for granted. Because for months, she didn't have any permanent place to live. I just want to get a sense of who you are. Like, how would people describe you? I'm fair, firm, and I'm consistent. Last year, Marilyn was living with her ex when she experienced domestic violence. She left and got counseling, but suddenly she found herself without a home or a job. The first time in 49 years I had ever been homeless. It was not a a pretty sight. What was the hardest part about it? Not taking a shower. You don't have nowhere to take a shower. I'm a woman. Wipes was my best friend. (laughs) Yeah. And there there aren't showers at the homeless shelter? No. You just have to do what you got. Bird bath. Go to Walmart and take a, in a bathroom and wash up. Marilyn grew up in New Jersey, and for years, she had a job she loved, working as a correctional officer at a juvenile detention center. But when she moved here to North Carolina a couple years ago, she was between jobs when she left her ex. I worked all my life. Who would ever think that I'd be in this predicament? I never think I would have been in this. And I had to say, am I going to fall or I'm going to survive? I'm going to survive. In a matter of months, she landed a new job at a group home for mentally disabled adults working as a health aide. 
And not long after that, in February, she paid the security deposit plus two months' rent, about $3,600, for the blue house. Things were really looking up. How much of your paycheck went towards rent? So about $800, $900 went to rent. Like with the rent, the water bill, the lights and all of that, yeah. And is that like a good chunk of your paycheck? Yes. It was like, I had like $136 left. Okay. And um, how was that like? It was okay because I had a roof over my head. So I was making it, but I wasn't making it. You're barely making it. Barely making it. Yeah, rent and bills were about 85% of her income. But the house was hers. I was happy. I was happy. I'm back on the right track. I got this. Then boom. Then the pandemic happened. Just a month after she landed that job, her manager told her they were shutting down. She remembers coming home from work that day. I had came home and I asked my neighbor next door, you got a cigarette? And I said, she, t- she told me, I told her what was going on. She said, it's going to be okay. That day, they sat on her front porch for a while. The next morning, she tried applying for unemployment, but she didn't hear back until two months later. She was told she didn't qualify. So next, she applied for the pandemic unemployment assistance, which is meant to help people like her, contract or part-time workers. But she has not heard back. And it's been months now. So did you get any assistance from the government? Nothing. I got the stimulus check. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else I got. Nothing else. North Carolina, where she lives, is not a great state to be in if you're unemployed. In fact, according to federal data, it ranks as the worst state for getting unemployment benefits to people in a timely manner. All summer, Marilyn felt stressed. She wasn't sleeping much, just two or three hours a night. I'm really tired. You can see the bags under my eyes. And even though she's got a kitchen full of food thanks to a local pantry, she hasn't had much of an appetite. It's been a lot of saltine crackers and Pepsi. To get out of the house, she volunteers most days at a local shelter. But otherwise, she finds herself drifting. You you just start getting depressed. you like, really depressed. Like, how did I get here? Why me? She's struggled to make rent since April. She negotiated with her water and electrical company to keep her house running, and she's relying on food stamps and that local pantry for meals. But there are other things she's had to put off. Like, I notice she squints a lot. That's because she hasn't been able to afford contacts for three months now. What felt like every week, she'd have a conversation with her property manager, trying to figure out where to get the rent. She got a little money from a local charity group, but at the end of the month, Marilyn and the property manager were back on the phone again, brainstorming. He said, don't go back to Johnston Lee County Community Action because they already paid a month for you. He said, go to Christian Coalition. They'll help. It was help trying to work with me. People all over the country are doing this same dance. They're relying on a patchwork of charity, mutual aid, and local and state orders to keep them in their homes. For Marilyn, that dance lasted for about five months. That is, until that sheriff knocked on her door. Coming up after the break, Marilyn goes to eviction court.
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. When Marilyn got those court papers, she squinted to take a closer look at the court date. It was in two days. How you get some eviction paper, then it, it was the same week they got to go to court. That's not right. Immediately, she called people in her network who could help. And that's when she got some potentially good news. A few weeks ago, the CDC came out with an order. Basically, it said landlords cannot evict their tenants until the end of the year, as long as the tenants prove that they've made their best efforts to pay rent. And why would the nation's health protection agency care about stopping evictions, you ask? Well, if millions of people become homeless or wind up in crowded places, well, COVID spreads more easily. So basically, the government had Maryland's back. I'm feeling a little ease. Then it gave me hope. She printed and signed this form from the CDC website. Then on Thursday, she showed up to court wearing jeans, her hair pulled back in a tight ponytail, with papers in hand. She sat all the way in the back. And she watched as one person after the next approached the judge. Every person that was in it, the seven families that went to court that Thursday, was evicted. What was the judge saying? He was like, you got these, you got this money? You ain't got this money? You got to go. A judgment. You ain't got this money? You ain't got this? A judgment. Right before Marilyn went up, she says she saw an 89-year-old woman get evicted. And honestly, I was struck by how much she remembers about this one woman. She had... Um, blonde hair. She was a Caucasian lady. She had a red shirt on with some blue um, capris and some white tennis sneakers. If you didn't have compassion for an 89-year-old lady, I know you ain't had enough for me. Marilyn could feel her stomach turn. But the thing is, none of them had those CDC forms. None of them had that. So you were like, oh. Oh, I got, I got something on my side. Right. Then it was Marilyn's turn. It was her against the property owner, who, by the way, owns 35 other rentals in the area. Almost as swiftly as he made the other rulings, the judge declared that Marilyn would be evicted and that she had to pay more than $3,000 in back rent. And that's when she said, no, but look at these CDC forms. According to them, you can't evict me. I showed him the paper. He said, "Ms. Hoffman, this does not apply to you. I said, this is, it says right here on page 18, all landlords. The judge refused to accept her signed declaration. He said that only applies to you if you live in federal housing. He said this doesn't pertain to you. But here's the thing. That judge was wrong. We talked with legal aid groups that told us he misinterpreted the CDC order. She met the criteria. She earns less than $99,000. She can't make rent. She's made her best efforts to get assistance. And she's at risk of being homeless. According to the order, that means she should be safe. I should be. I should be. But nobody, nobody's following what CDC said. Well, it's been pretty much a mess. Those legal aid groups told us that from state to state and really judge to judge, the CDC order is getting interpreted differently. Your luck kind of depends on where you live and which judge you end up in front of. 
Like in a courthouse in Kentucky, everyone down to the front desk staff is trying to help renters by handing out these forms. In Georgia, some judges aren't acknowledging it unless a renter brings it up. In North Carolina, there was one judge who even questioned the order's constitutionality. It feel like a roller coaster. Because you got new um, legal aid saying one thing, he's saying something different. I don't know what to believe. It's like it's, it's much of confusion. And then when I Google stuff, it's a lot of cities around here that's confused. And really, the onus is on renters. They have to fill out the paperwork, deliver it to their landlords, and then try to get rent assistance. Because the CDC's ban on evictions, it does not come with money. In fact, many landlord groups say they'd support the order if it came with federal funding. Because, you know, they've got their own bills to pay. But without it, it just feels like a Band-Aid solution. But anyway, in Marilyn's case, this is a moot point. She couldn't even get a judge to recognize the order. Yeah, and my livelihood is in jeopardy behind this. My health. My health is at stake. Because I can't eat, I can't sleep. It's, it's a lot. After the judgment, that same day, Marilyn immediately tried to appeal the eviction. But a county clerk told her, first, she needed to pay $500. They said, Ms. Hoffman, you need $500 to file a pill. I said, huh? $500 for a pill? If I had $500, I would pay my rent. She felt defeated. That night, she couldn't sleep. It felt like all she could hear was the judge's voice echoing in her head. Marilyn, this doesn't apply to you. This does not pertain to you. This doesn't pertain to you. Ms. Hoffman, this does not apply to you. Marilyn is living the experience of tens of thousands of people. But here's where her story diverges from practically everyone else in this situation. So shortly after that hearing, a New York Times reporter approached her and included her in an article that got published on the website's front page. Like I said, pretty rare. And a reader, she felt so moved by Marilyn's story that she donated $500 for the appeal. It was, it was, I was happy. I was happy. People care. It, it, it felt good. People care. She officially filed the appeal and is safe to stay in her house until the court date in November. She says because the system failed her, it felt like she had no choice but to rely on the kindness of people. When I talked with her last week, she was still unemployed. But then the other day, I called her to see if she had any updates. And she just got a job, actually with the homeless shelter where she used to stay. She's feeling a little more optimistic, but the fear hasn't gone away. She still owes that more than $3,000 in back rent. And so then what are you going to do if you can't come up with the money? I don't know. I honestly don't know. She put up a GoFundMe in hopes that'll help. But even if the money does come through, she kept saying to me, okay, but then what about everyone else? What, What happens to other people that was evicted the same day that I was in court and not one person got help? Since July, activists and legal aid attorneys have been practically shouting, trying to tell everyone that we are going to see a tide of people losing their homes. That's because in July, the CARES Act, which blocked some evictions, expired. And so did the unemployment insurance, that extra $600 a week. Meanwhile, Congress has yet to offer any new solutions or new aid packages. But everyone we talked to for this story told us it is important to remember that even before the pandemic, 
this country was dealing with an eviction crisis. Like, the most recent data shows that in 2016, there were 3.7 million eviction cases filed against renters. That's basically seven filings every minute. And that was back when we had an unemployment rate of 4.7%. Now it's nearly double that. And research shows that landlords, they're twice as likely to file eviction proceedings against Black renters than white renters. We need affordable housing. It's as simple as that for you? Yes, plain and simple. That day, I spent a couple hours sitting on Marilyn's porch with her. Eventually, she had to leave to go volunteer at the shelter. But before she did, she mentioned that 89-year-old woman again. In fact, I counted, and during our interview, she had brought her up nine different times. I felt her pain because I know my pain when I was in here. That's somebody's mother. That could have been my mother. Marilyn tells me it felt like this stark reminder that no matter how old you are, no matter how much you've been through, housing in the end of the day is still a financial relationship. And if one event in your life, like losing a job in a pandemic or being in an abusive relationship, totally knocks everything off course, it can take at least twice as long to catch up and get back to where you were, if you're lucky. And so for Marilyn, so much of this crisis comes down to compassion, or lack thereof. That's what broke me. That's what broke me, was that 89-year-old lady. Because when he say um, judgment, eviction, I'm like... Wow. If you ain't have no compassion for nobody else, you could have had compassion for her. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you want to reach out, you can hit us up at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Rima Hreis. Also, feel free to rate and review us if you like what we do. That helps us out a bunch. This is Uncomfortable is produced by me, Rima Hreis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Our editor is Michaela Bly. Our intern is Daniel Martinez. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Charlton Thorpe is our audio engineer. Sitara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand at Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all soon.